So yeah, uh, we're live. What's up, David? How are you? I am fantastic. I hope you guys are as well. More uh, or less, yeah. Do, yeah, more or less. <laughs> Coughing um, ensues. <laughs> yeah, I, I am back from PAX along with Chris. And I caught a little bit of some sickness, so my breathing and coughing and everything is not the best. <laughs> David is a veteran with a any sort of Pax Pox sickness or anything like that. Really? You, you go to two Pax events and suddenly you're a veteran. <laughs> right. I was going to say, a veteran? That's 15 years. I'm just, I'm just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> David, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name's David Stanley. I am the creator of a little game called Skell Attack. Uh, I started this project all by myself back in 2015. I have a background in art and animation, but I picked up programming as well because I wanted to make my own computer game and maybe sell it on Steam. Uh, anyway, the years go by and people are taking notice um, and I start to expand my team. And, you know, it's 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 like a full time job now for like a number of great artists and programmers. Uh, and so it's just become this thing I get to do every day and I'm really proud of it. Um, it's really like cartoony hand-drawn animation is my thing and it'll probably always be my thing uh and if you enjoy difficult platformers that aren't super punishing but pretty darn hard uh skull attack is probably your thing and this game does exist it's out uh it's not it's not complete yet um okay. it's gonna be coming out this year nice but yeah it's it's pretty much there <laughs> very good nice it's funny because i originally was like Back in 2015 and early 2016, I was like, yeah, this will just be like a fun little practice project. Should only take me a couple of months tops. Mm. You know, maybe I'll put it on Steam. And now it's just like become this whole other thing. And, you know, after multiple little delays on my part, you know, we're finally almost ready to like drop it on everybody. So I had a, <laughs> I was going to say, I had a really great, this is something I've talked to a couple of people about. Yeah. But I had a really great conversation with Seth while we were at PAX about games really shouldn't exist. <laughs> Based on how unacceptably difficult they are to make, there's no reason any game should ever have been made in the first place. This is a really good point. And the fact, like, Akash has a, a, a talk that he gave in, in Austin, I think, once, where he just he said, like, it, the fact that any video game exists at all, he's like, whenever a game is released, I'm always astonished because they're so hard to do. They're just people failing over and over and over until a thing <laughs> comes out, until there's a successful result at the end of it. And <laughs> I think about, if I say there's 300 million people somewhere, that's a number that doesn't have any context. We can't imagine what that looks like in terms of how many people that actually is. So I always like to think about how many people there are in different little pieces of contextual understanding to just make it seem more real. Like the fact that 900 million birds are killed every year simply from building strikes. And it's like 900 million birds a year from building strikes, that's a a lot of birds and a lot of buildings. And just thinking about how many buildings that is, it's like, wow, there really are a lot of people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was talking to Seth about this problem, and that's kind of it was kind of that same sort of component where it was like, if you think about how many games there are that exist since the 80s, it's an outrageous number. And to think about our individual experiences with how many games start and never come out, and then you extrapolate that upwards... If you know, imagining that percentage is true overall in the industry, more or less, 
the number of games that have never come out is just that's 900 million birds a year <laughs> god yeah you're right it's insane isn't it <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it really makes no sense like and no like thinking thinking that exact thing but on a much smaller level when i was starting skell attack i was like you know what's something that would be easy for me to make that would give me the high like a pretty high likelihood of getting it done yeah a simple mm -hmm. little platforming game you know without a ton of rpg elements or story progression or upgrading or crafting or farming or any of this stuff keep it simple mm -hmm. even then like still five years later we're finally like almost done but we're still working on this platforming game it's like you can never understand how much there is that you don't know uh, absolutely you can't plan and for any of it really and all it took in the entirety of five whole years was for anybody to say, ah, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another game that never made it to the public eye. It's sad. It's really sad. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we we had, we had were approached about possibly doing some work at PAX um, oh. by somebody. And they were like, hey, you know, I'm working on this little game. It's probably going to have like 200 assets. What do you guys think about doing that? And it was like, well, first of all, 200 is probably 600. And, <laughs> and that's just the roughest possible estimate of what you've said the game has in it and then what you talked about the game possibly also having in it that only exists in your mind so far. Right. And so it just, yeah, how many things that you don't know to expect to work on, mm -hmm. Every it, the smallest thing, it blows up into the biggest thing so oh, quickly. yeah, every time, dude. And no matter how much you fight against feature creep, there's, there's going to be some creep mm. every time. Mm-hmm. Feature creep is a good phrase. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, when Blip Sounds started, we, uh, I mean, Blip Sounds has be, has definitely got a lot of feature creep going on all the time, really. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, uh, uh, and every time that, like, somebody new comes on board, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, we need to add this thing and this thing. I'm just like, no, we don't. <laughs> Here comes a new bag of ideas. Yeah, right, for real. right. And it's like, thank you. Like, that's that's excellent, but we have to. We have to keep it simple and not expand too much. <laughs> it's funny when Blip Sound started. It was we had a Patreon, we had uh, Twitter and Facebook, we had a sound library, we had the educational videos, we had course material. Like I mean that wow. that that alone already just sounds like it's insane. It's, but it's ambitious. It's very ambitious and very dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was it was not smart of me to do that when I started. But and then then Chris comes on. He's like, oh, we should do a podcast, and I'm just like. Ugh. <laughs> you're like what's that <laughs> it, it was really interesting like you hit me up about this not too long ago ryan and i was like ryan the sound guy wants to talk to me on a podcast like it, it was just interesting because the types of the types of stations that typically do podcasts aren't or to me they don't really seem to be sound designers um mm -hmm. so it was just like it was surprising to me um but i was like dude absolutely like i, I love chatting with ryan so i knew no matter what we spoke about, it was going to be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. And it's weird because there's this interesting balance to where so often we'll have, we'll do these podcasts and we tend to do them at least two at a time. So we'll record two at once and then split it into different weeks. Mm. And a, a pattern that we're starting to see is that the first one we talk about, 
There's going to be strictly business. It's going to be it's going to be about sound and the technical aspects of game design and motivation and creativity and all that mess. And then the second one will be farting around about games and TV and sandwiches, and it will have nothing to do with anything people are listening to this for. Okay, so which one am I? This is the first one, so uh, we got to start talking about sound here any minute. But Man. <laughs> but but then but then if we then if we do a second episode, thirty minutes long each. The second one yeah. will probably talk about nonsense or right. why Sonic uh, should have should have <laughs> yeah, kept the why, old design. Oh. Yeah, what happens if Sonic fights PS1 Hagrid? Oh, oh my goodness! I, did we have that conversation? We had a conversation about those two guys. Okay, but they didn't. They did not, we didn't talk about them fighting, fighting though. <laughs> okay, right, right. Okay. So, guys, I'm I'm happy to be on the first podcast, but do keep me in mind for the second podcast at some point in the future. What? Well, and that's the thing too. Is like, at first, it's it. You there's this little bug of concern, like, oh no, is this how we want this to go? Is someone going to be wasting their time listening to this? But <laughs> in my experience, I've been listening to podcasts pretty heavily since about 2008. Okay, and I love it. I love episodes where the people on the podcast just start talking about themselves and their own lives and the things they like and, yeah. the, and stories about stuff that's happened to them because it really brings them into this sense of a friend that you've never met Absolutely. like there's there's a series of podcasters from a group called laser time and they have done laser time since 2012 and then they did talk radar before that so i've been listening to them for this whole since 2008 basically and so i know so many things about their lives and i've like watched them get married and all these different wow. things that have happened and it's like i've got these decade plus old as far as I can, am concerned, friends. I know as much about them as I might any of my friends, and they have no idea who I am. And it's a really <laughs> weird trade-off, but, I, I mean, there's, they've had episodes. Like Talk Radar 200 was a six-hour episode, and I couldn't have loved it more. Oh. And it's just because that's then that's like, I'm going to hang out with my friends for six hours today, and I'm going to love every minute of it. Yeah, that's so great, man. Yeah, and so, one, yeah, so it's like we worry about whether or not it it's – part of why people listen to this but then it's like nah it's gonna be great people love that stuff so i don't worry yeah, about it to, anymore like honestly if you wanted to know about me like from a technical standpoint from you know a professional standpoint i've done lots of other podcasts so people could go listen to that they could go read about it you know when there have been like articles here and there but uh mm -hmm. where i really enjoy it it's like exactly what you said chris like you know personal stories jokes just kind of you know, messing around, yeah. having fun with some friends, and uh, hopefully people get a kick out of that in some way. I think that one thing that people don't really realize that they want when they're involved with a game like Scale Attack or they're part of the Blip Sounds community is that they love to hear the raw, like, raw understanding of who these people are that we're listening to. Yeah. Because, like, on, on our YouTube channel, we have videos where we teach about how to make sound effects or, like, how to use these plugins and such, and... Those are scripted usually and very uh, focused to be towards just a very specific thing. Mm -hmm. But here on the podcast, it's like, okay, well, what what games do these people like? What yeah. what do the, what does this person laugh at? And that was kind of the idea behind Blip Sounds from the start was to like have personality behind the business. And I think that I don't know. I think that a lot of people miss out on that. When, when I agree creating something yeah and i think i mean if and if also too if you look at it from the perspective of like when you're doing a regular interview with someone it's going to be all business and it's going to be all business because you're not friends with that person mm -hmm. and the goofing around just comes as a result of being friends with people true and everybody likes to hang out with someone and their friends 
Anyway, you don't go to the movies with, you know, business associates unless it's a business meeting <laughs> right? and things like that. And so it is, I think it's just going to be inherently more fun as a result of the fact that you made friends with the person you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, it's so cool. Like, I I haven't seen... <laughs> Sorry, T-Nass says I go to the movies alone. And I, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, should I be looking in on that channel too? Sure, yeah, um, if you want uh, to. Be. Yeah. Okay. He liked cats. No wonder you go to the movies alone. <laughs> So, so since Chris and I just got back from PAX South, and you have been to two or three PAXs, right, David? I've done two. Two? Okay. Were you yeah. at... I remember we met at PAX South in Yeah, so we did we did PAX South in January 2018, and then we also did PAX East in Boston in April of 2018. Mm. Yeah, and then... Nice. Right, I saw you at both of those. And um, then, I, then I died. Oh, good. And never went to anything <laughs> else. <laughs> Is that when you're you... doing a great job of talking? Thanks. <laughs> how how has it? Have you been doing like? So you haven't been doing any convention grind. You've just been on a Skeletac grind. Yeah, I've been on a Skeletac grind, and you know, every year, like 2019, 2020, people are like, "Yo, are you going to PAX? You going to you going to go to PAX East, PAX South?" And I'm always like, "I would love to. Like, I miss you guys so much." But you know, Skeletac had to come first. Like, there's there's a lot that I can't talk about um, that's going on behind the scenes of Skeletac, but there's like a really good reason why you haven't seen any of us out. We've just been hardcore rolling on this game, and uh, I really couldn't be more proud of it right now. How many good. How many people are working on Skeletac right now? I'm gonna sound terrible because I don't I don't have the number <laughs> in mind, but it's uh it's like eleven or twelve. What? Um, nice. <laughs> No, well, I mean, you were just one guy it's, when yeah, when dude, we met at Pack South. I know, and I really, I really like. It's difficult for me to talk about this partially because I don't get to talk about it much, but also it's hard to say these things without sounding like some big shot. Like, <laughs> but it is absolutely insane. You know, just going from not knowing programming at all and deciding deciding that I wanted to make like a quote unquote simple platformer to people actually caring about this game whether it's from a player standpoint or from a business perspective or, you know, content for their channel, whatever. Like, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I say this to my friends sometimes who know, like, what this game has gone through and what I've gone through, and I'm always like, I could live this same life a hundred different times in a row and probably not get as lucky as I have gotten with all of this. Oh. It's just uh, It's nice. just been a really nice ride, and I'm excited to finally get this game out. So when you say eleven people, is that how many are dev and how many is marketing and et cetera, et cetera? Um, it's about half and half. Um, okay. We've got you know, like we've got our team leads. Like I'm, I'm just I'm the art director now. Like I don't even touch programming anymore because I was fine for like what it consisted of back in the day when I had the old demo. But there are people who are way better than me at programming. So I'm just like. I'm happy to step back. Um, so I have a, a team of uh, artists and animators that you know I I oversee their stuff, and uh, it's hard for me to talk about everyone who's involved on the game at the moment. But um, we'll learn more about this in the in the coming X amount of time. But uh, yeah, I I do have like a right hand man, so to speak. Like the, my buddy Joel, he took over programming. He rewrote my terrible code and made it something that actually made sense. <laughs> um, he 
took the game from something that I and other people thought was cool, and um, he's really made it into something amazing for me. Like I look at the things that he does with the world of Skeletak and with the coding underneath everything, and I'm just kind of blown away by the the ideas that he's had and the things that he comes up with. And every morning we start our day on Discord together, and we you know we have like a little phone call or a little Discord check in, and we just you know kind of pump each other up and, and make sure That's we're awesome. both feeling good. It's it's really nice, and it's you know it's interesting, Ryan is that this guy Joel, um, I met him at PAX South, and his his game the game that he was working on Crystals and Curses was like fifteen feet away from Skeletax booth. Oh, and, I remember that game. Yeah, yeah, and so you know naturally being in such close proximity, you know a lot of the devs are just kind of like making the rounds, talking to each other, you know, like hyping each other up about the projects they're working on, and. I just fell in love with uh, with the Crystals and Curses crew, and we just all became like well, not not everybody, but most of us on most of them on the team became good friends with me and the Yakuza team, um, and it, we just always stayed in touch. And it's crazy because like these random connections that you make at PAX or life in general, you never really know how these people are going to come back into your life and like help you out in a huge way. So it's. It, yeah, it's been wonderful. That's fantastic. We were just the we made friends with the composer for Just Cause three and four while we were at PAX Whoa. South. Uh, yeah, his name's Zach Abramson, and that is basically his first game is Just Cause oh three God. that he ever scored for. <laughs> and he said it's because he doesn't even play games; he's bad at them. <laughs> and he was a he was basically a, a theater composer and other things like that. And then a guy that he worked with previously became the audio director for Just Cause, and then he got brought into the fold, and that's how he got that gig. Wow. And probably I talked to him about coming on here and telling that story um, at some point, but <laughs> it's just crazy. It's yeah. like I brought up in a different episode we were talking about, I referred to this sort of networking business as a, a social lottery mm. where, like, the more people you know, the you know, being a nice person that everybody enjoys talking to, the more connections you make is is essentially buying another lottery ticket for the big jackpot of getting successful and wow. rich through the people and the, you know, and the connections you make. And it's just, it's a perfect example of like what you just said. Like, yeah, we were at this booth and I could have just sat there and stared at the floor like a grump <laughs> and I never would have met any of these people and none of this other stuff would have happened. But instead, right. We all enjoyed each other's company and now this happened. Yeah, yeah. And, oh man, like, and then we, you know, our two teams got to meet up again, uh, a few months later when we did PAX East and, you know, it was just, it was just a really nice time, like being so far away from home and being so tired, it, it, you still felt like you were at home. Like you see these people or we would have them, we'd have them back at um, our Airbnb, you know, for some drinks. And it's just like, wow, like, I don't know, you just feel like these people are incredibly special. And it was, you could tell that it was more than just networking for the sake of like having connections, like there were real connections and um, oh yeah and then you know it was important to me emotionally because shortly thereafter when we decided we really needed to um, expand our team I was so close to every bit of Skeletak you know under the hood and visually I had a real mm. problem thinking like who on earth would I trust with this code to take a, <laughs> to take a look at this mess I've created um, and make sense of it and assist me and understand like the voice of Skeletak and what it needs to feel like. But then Joel's name came up and he was interested in the project. And I was like, this is absolutely perfect. Cause I mean, he was always such a great dude. 
and I uh, always enjoyed my time with him. It was a good choice. I keep telling people it. I'm because we had a similar situation just here at Pack South where every single person I met, and it was several. There's a lot of people I met that I didn't know beforehand, and a lot of people that I sort of knew and got to know better. And everybody's awesome. It's <laughs> it's really strange because you know it basically in real life, IRL, you meet you know five one out of every five new people you meet is somebody that you feel like you could really connect with. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's, you know, acquaintanceships and just business and all that other stuff. Right. And, and not necessarily that they're awful people, but, you know, everybody's not for everybody. Uh, absolutely. But every single new person. This guy, he's cool. His girlfriend shows up. She's cool, too. Yeah. These people over here, awesome. And it's <laughs> like, it's like just, I don't It's really crazy to go into a, a, a place and it's just like everybody here I'm going to meet, probably great. It was great. Like, that was 100% my experience, man. Just knowing that everyone there is there for pretty much the same reason. Like, there are hundreds of people, and I know I'm going to love every one of you. And mm -hmm. I met hundreds of people, you know, when we'd have our Skeletech booth, and th there wasn't a negative interaction ever. It, some weird ones, I bet. Some weird They're ones. not negative. Yeah. Some <laughs> of them that, that straddle the line a little bit of, like, yeah. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. But <laughs> <laughs> we got a couple of those, too. <laughs> I, I can't I can't remember exactly how this one went, but um, some some random person had come up at uh, at Pack South, and um, we're talking about Skeletac, and it's going as expected, and uh, and then in, for some reason it, it got really political real fast. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which wow. is like you know, that's kind of a just a no no for me personally. Like even in my daily life, I I have my thoughts and I have the things I'm upset about or ragey mm -hmm. about, but um. You know, there's only so much I can say about it before we end up right where we started and nothing has been solved. Right. So, boy, that's true. I just want to talk about cartoons, man. Come <laughs> on. And who doesn't? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I, I was asking about the convention grind earlier because it's very bizarre for us to have been going to conventions for the last three years and see how. Just me walking up to the right booth at the right time and saying hi to the right person and also doing some other stuff mm -hmm. before that has, and just the small things that add up that have allowed me to meet so many other people. Uh, and also just like how meeting somebody three years ago hasn't necessarily, has been a, a good benefit for myself and Blip Sounds as on a personal mm -hmm. level, but you know, eventually they do come out to be a benefit for blip sounds. And like, there's some sort of business transaction or like some sort of like relationship to develop between blip sounds and their company or mm -hmm. something like that. It's just an interesting process to see how the people that I've, I've met three years ago, those are things that are still helping us now, I guess. Yeah. It's not just like a, a passing acquaintance, you know, I mean, a lot of them are, you can't be best friends forever with everybody that you talk to, but mm -hmm. Like Chris was saying, it's it's just kind of an interesting little lottery, like the more people you meet and connect with. And I, I hate to talk about people as yeah. a commodity. Like you guys you guys aren't like my my <laughs> random scratch off ticket to like fame and fortune. I mean, but but some but sometimes people are. Um that that shouldn't be the goal, but sometimes that can definitely happen. And if nothing else, you get some great lifelong friends. Like one of the first one of the first yeah. people who ever got interested in Skeletac on Twitter was uh, this random dude from Germany 
who spoke really good English for some reason. And um, he was just such a smart dude and so sincere. And there was something about the game that like really spoke to him. And we just struck up a conversation and I was, I was new to showing off my game on Twitter. I thought it was going to get roasted so hard because it, honestly, it looked kind of, kind of bad back in the day, but um, he, we're still good friends. Like, you know, five ish years later, I, I love the dude. It's so funny. Yeah. And there was another book I read. It's basically a stock mm -hmm. investment book, but what I took away from that book was that if you're investing in the stock market, most people are relying on something like Bitcoin or something that's like has a lot of volatility that you can invest like a couple hundred to a thousand dollars or however much money into it and there's like a one like the smallest chance of making it big quickly with whatever you invest in or and that applies for people that are spending money on the lottery and willing to take those odds on, on that route but really the best thing to do is just to focus on the long-term investment and to be patient and just to keep grinding out and eventually it will yeah, work out yeah absolutely like with Skeletech um god I it's it's so weird dude like I so much of my modern life and my experiences go back to my time with Skeletech so I I bring it up a lot and I'm sorry if it's like like god that dude just won't stop talking about his game jesus christ <laughs> um it's all right we all feel that way but uh <laughs> no, I mean, not about you but just about stuff where it's like i gotta quit talking about akash on this but you know if you if so many of your experiences come from one place you know that's just how it is up front yeah yeah i mean it's taken up years of my life but yeah so with this game like when i started it i had i had a day job already this was just like something for fun so i had this like interesting position to not force Skeletac into any sort of fad or to make it into anything that I thought would bring in any amount of dollars. Like I really didn't care about it. It was more of a, a personal investment, an emotional and time investment. And whatever happened, mm -hmm. happened. Like it's I think it's nice if you can to sometimes create just for the sake of creating without being like, I think this could sell two hundred copies on Steam or or whatever your metrics are yeah. you can't always do that but it's it's just nice when you can do it do you do you find that you're because you're an artist yeah and i'm i'm sure you love art do you find it's that all right skeletal <laughs> <laughs> never touch the stuff myself yeah <laughs> i outsource most of what i do anyway <laughs> is that true no 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 Please, i was gonna God. say do not if you if you quote anything if you quote anything from this conversation do not quote me on that because i'm completely oh lying. my god oh, so good. <laughs> I, you, you have a team i i do like i still I, are you the only artist no no i'm so i'm not the only artist i was the only artist for like two years at least um and then we started bringing in other people i still i still take on the lion's share of the work and my vision still like informs all of the game world and all of the art that goes into it. Um, but no, I'm I'm no longer the only person creating assets for this game. That's um, crazy. What, <laughs> uh, what were you gonna ask? Like, I didn't think that was. No, it wasn't. But uh, I think I was gonna <laughs> ask about like if Skeletac has ruined art for you. Oh, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. Um, no, not at all. Like, uh, that's good. So. Uh, it's weird. I 
I'm gonna go out on a limb and it's gonna be completely hyperbolic, but sometimes I feel like working on this team, on this game, with the amount of stress that we all know about behind the scenes, it almost feels like a presidency of a sort where you just have to take it with a smile and not show everyone how much you're absolutely freaking out. And by the end of it, you will have aged 15 years. But even even with all of the stress that comes with it and um, the business side of things, which I don't have much of a hand in, thankfully, but I have to hear about them and worry about them. Even through all these things, when Skeletac is done and we're we wash our hands of it, I cannot wait to start my next game. I don't know, you know, what it's going to be exactly. Like Skeletech too. I mean, the team we <laughs> <laughs> boned again. <laughs> you know, I I have my own ideas, and uh, the studio has has ideas too. Um, uh, and I I don't know. Like, I'll probably end up working on a game with the studio officially, and then, you know, maybe work on my own little private thing on the side if i have some some ideas that i just can't get rid of i i but absolutely like art will art will be a part of my life until the day i die hopefully do you ever draw for yourself outside of skeletech yeah yeah so in recent weeks i haven't been able to but i really try to make it a point to draw things for myself that aren't skeletech related like i keep um that's good yeah thanks i like mentally, it it does a lot for me. Actually, I keep sketchbooks, like physical sketchbooks, uh, and I'll I'll take them out. You know, I'll go hang out with friends, and we'll meet up at Starbucks or whatever. And uh, me and my other friend who does art, we'll just we'll just sit there and just kind of like screw around and make each other laugh, or you know, show each other techniques that we've picked up. And it's always a lot of fun, and it's weirdly cathartic. Like it just kind of like washes away all the stress of. Uh, doing art for Skeletech. You know, you would think yeah. you would think I wouldn't really want to do art um, in my free time, but some days it it it's very much a, a part of my a part of my time. So well, I mean you got into nice. it in, you know for a reason. Like this is something I like to do. Yeah. It's been like art as a career, it's been on my radar since I was like in kindergarten around that around that time, mm -hmm. you know, seeing like all these great Nickelodeon cartoons and uh these these beautiful disney movies coming through and i'm like whoa people people got paid to do this I, it's I, so <laughs> strange that because their game design was on my radar since i was i don't know i was i i have a a, a memory that i cannot place a disassociated memory of being in elementary <laughs> school like sixth grade or third grade or something and saying that my dream job was to work for squaresoft and i wanted wow. to create i wanted to be in charge of like in whatever capacity a, a child thinks is the structure for game design, uh, the CGI, like the cutscenes and stuff between in Final Fantasy games. And mm. I forgot all about that, I think. And I spent, I don't know, because part of growing up in the Midwest is to sort of adopt this mindset of dream. There, there exists a reality and a world of dream jobs where it's like, well, I could never do that. And so you just think of it as like, well, if I if I could do anything I wanted, I would do this thing. And it's not yeah. the same as like Space Cowboy, but it's like, here's a real job that other people do all the time. That's just not for me because the environment and how it has built itself into my mind in which I live doesn't make it seem like that's a reality for someone like me. And so 
I think that that yeah. idea kind of disappeared from my life and only had it recently realized somebody brought it up to brought it to my attention recently I think or I thought I can't remember how it happened but I was like oh I kind of fell backwards into this thing that I always wanted when I was a kid and forgot I cared about sometime wow. in the middle and I think that wow. that's very interesting that's great. <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's a strange thing that um I've kind of gone through as well like I always had that dream job like I mean it would change depending on what year or what month it was even sure. you know sometimes I wanted to um, work for Marvel or DC doing comics mm -hmm. or sometimes I wanted to work for an animation studio making cartoons uh, and then video games would come through sometimes I wanted to be in the NBA um, this was right after I saw Space Jam but <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in the NBA but only if Bugs is there <laughs> please I want to like step on monsters heads and then slam dunk yeah that's if I can't do that then I don't want to be oh, I don't want to be on your team exactly um, good day and sir. yeah like <laughs> like as I as I got older and I was um, trying college yet again uh, as an adult, I like I got into graphic design and I was like, yeah, I still love art. I just don't know where where the market really is for my silly little cartoon drawings and strange robots and all this other nonsense. Mm -hmm. I was like, realistically, I'll probably end up going into advertising or something. and. Mm. I don't know, like designing some packaging. And it's like, God, I can feel my eyeballs shriveling up just talking about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, it, it took it took kind of going out on a limb for a little while, um, doing like doing a lot of freelance work for not a lot of pay. I hear that. But I finally, finally was able to like start doing art and animations for mobile games. Mm -hmm. And I like it just kind of reignited that thing that I'd always felt like. You know, when I would play Ocarina of Time with my brother growing up, like I would look at all these backgrounds and I would listen to the music, and I was just so blown away by every aspect of it. And I, I remember just being like, I don't know how, but I would love to do something like this someday. Yeah, I was always far more actively interested in composition uh, from a video mm. game perspective than sounds. I have there's a lot of sound centric stuff that I focus on all the time. That it seems a little bit more passive, where it's just like. If you were to ask somebody, hey, do you recognize, did you know that that makes this sound? And then and then <laughs> someone else says, what? And that's when you realize that you're doing things a little, different than, a little differently than everybody else. But I, th I think going off track just a little bit and being a little unorthodox uh, never hurt anybody. No, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you're doing. <laughs> except for, in, you know, in McCarthy's Blacklist. But that's a different situation. <laughs> um <laughs> Tinas just said, you can't do it wrong if no one knows what you're doing. My motto. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is really good. I like so you, that a lot. Can I can I tell you guys an interesting sound story from my youth? Please do. Okay. Um, I got a metal slinky one time and I Ooh. loved it. But it made it it made my hands smell really weird, so it was kinda like a love-hate relationship. They'll do that. Um <laughs> one time in my home I was uh I was like up on my bunk bed and I was pretty close to the ceiling there and I held the top of the slinky, the very end of it. I held that to the ceiling and let it drop to the floor. And as it dropped down, it created like the, yeah, yeah, like the laser sound. And I couldn't remember if I had read about them doing that for Star Wars or something. And then I tried it or if I discovered it independently. But the better story is that <laughs> I discovered it independently. So <laughs> thank you. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that, that and like the 
telephone pole coils also make the same sort of oh sound. really yeah just sound. it's such yeah. an interesting noise and that's but that's kind of the thing that I was thinking about where you as somebody who just sort of defaults to caring about sound you recognize all these weird sounds and you think about them and and you sort of log them away in a, in, in a way that you don't realize and then when you get around to making sounds it's like what's a good way to make this sound oh I know <laughs> that if I pull a roll of tape it'll go and that's a great noise. <laughs> and then you just hold on to it in your mind somewhere. And other people, yeah. and I don't know, that's a huge part of sound design. And I think that that comes in a lot of different forms for other, for random people. Yeah, you just like file these random things away until you until you need them mm-hmm. or you don't. Yeah, really cool. Or you yeah. don't exactly. And then you have, <laughs> and then you have information in your head that you get to keep to yourself forever, like how all three Stooges died. Or <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Oh, okay, so they didn't use slinkies for Star Wars. My bad. But yeah, it looks it like was, they did use the, okay. the cable tower or the telephone pole okay. wires or whatever. The slinkies are definitely more accessible, yes. so True. I, I guess... And, and easier if to I have in a controlled a, environment, for sure. Like, you can't take that. Yeah. That's going to be an outdoor recording, which is going to be a bummer. But I tried getting those telephone wires and poles like into my house, but my parents said no. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you just do what you can with what you have, really. Yeah, maybe one day you'll be able to build a house around them. <laughs> <laughs> so basically you're telling us that you start you're actually a sound designer and not an artist yeah i you know i, I dabble <laughs> no well that's oh, man, it's, sort of extension of that is like how does what is the art version of what we just talked about from a sound in a sound world yeah okay that's really cool actually um so for me like especially when i was uh messing around with programming and just trying to get things to work sometimes you need to think outside the box like okay i'm definitely not smart enough to program this entire system in question mm-hmm. but what if there's a workaround what if there's a simpler way to do it or an alternative method to get me to that same goal mm-hmm. um and it's the same with art as well like um i wouldn't call it cutting corners in art but sometimes you just know special ways to get you where you need to go that m- maybe are a little unorthodox and maybe it's fudged a bit maybe there's a little bit of trickery but so much of what we each do whether it's sound design art or programming um there's got to be some trickery involved sometimes a lot of it i think i mean well that's one of the the mad like some of the core of the magic of everything that happens is sort of a trickery thing like if you think about jurassic park like the magic of (laughs) they didn't have any real dinosaurs they had to make one and then there's the sequence where they're sitting up against the car and t-rex blows air out of his nose and knocks grant's hat (laughs) off and like if you look at it enough times you can see that it's not connected to the head of the dinosaur it's just an air cannon just off center to that (laughs) but that's the magic and it is absolutely trickery so it's like that's what special effects is Oh, yeah. And like speaking of Jurassic Park, one of my favorite stories comes from that movie where they were doing the ripple in the cup of water. Yes, one of my favorite examples oh, of, man. of the elegance how, of design. How great is that? And even knowing how they did it, it's still so beautiful to see the scene. I, I don't know if I know this story, actually. Do you want to Chris, you want to go for I'll it? Go. Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, the, like they just, the guy who was doing that, I don't know what, if that's production designer, whoever's involved in that, but one of the special effects guys was trying to make that effect happen. And it was like an 11th hour situation where he's like, here we have this very special, this very simple effect we're trying to create, and I just can't get it to work. And they eventually, he rigged up a guitar string under the dash of the truck, and he just pulled it and let it snap. And it hit the bottom, and there's the ripple, and it's like, that was it. Solved. Yeah, like, how crazy is that? Like, I, I think I remember reading that, they had tried um, 
like vibrating the vehicle or dro- like maybe even thought about dropping something heavy nearby to create that vibration but mm-hmm. whatever they tried um it just wasn't creating like these perfect concentric circle ripples mm-hmm. that they envisioned uh and then finally you know they made it happen and it was just such a simple almost a freebie like it cost pretty much nothing you know to get a guitar string and rig it up those are my absolute favorite favorite things is when you the solution is just it's elegance is in its simplicity where it's like here's a solution to this one of my favorite completely non-media related versions of this one of the reasons i love cars so much is that they are Uh, monuments of engineering everything about them is like my favorite thing is engineering and here is something dedicated to it front top to bottom and (laughs) in the i think it was the redesign of the subaru legacy for 2013 they simply had in the middle of the roof right by the map lights was a tiny little blue led and it just cast this very dim blue light on the interior at night and it solved all of the problems of not being able to find anything in a dark car that nobody realized existed. Like, here's a problem we wow. all have, nobody thinks of, and here's a solution for it. And it's simply a light the size of a pinhead casting a blue <laughs> light that doesn't interfere with anything. And it just gives enough light to see everything going on. And the elegance That's, of that is just magnificent to me. I love it. That is amazing, dude. Because, yeah, I remember so many times growing up and... Um, I mean, even in in recent years, just, you know, you've got to, like, punch the ceiling and turn on the big dome light. And it's just, it's harsh and it's distracting to everybody in the car. Probably pretty dangerous if you want to be real about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Especially if you're driving around, like, at night and you're just blinded by this glare. Yeah, and that's so much of invention is, like, everything people don't have that they don't realize they need. And that exists. And then this thing comes along and it's like, oh... I've never been happier to get this thing I didn't know that I was without. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous and lovely, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I enjoy finding things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's why I was really excited to come on to this type of podcast, um, not just because I know Ryan, but because I had an inkling that there was a lot of overlap in the mentality of uh, of what you guys do versus what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Th- this podcast in particular, we talk so much about just creativity as a whole and like the overlap basically yeah, and yeah. across different mediums yeah. and so we're not afraid yeah. to pull punches on technical speak either. So it's a really, you can really dig into like, here's an idea that I had, here's how it came about, here's the limitations that it brought with it, and here's how I solved it. And you don't have to worry about talking a bunch of code and making people go to sleep or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> this is a cooking yeah. show. Yeah. What are you I talking think... about? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, sound design just has so many different elements to it that we talk about, like, small things like limitations or, like, uh, thematic sound design or, like, dynamics. And, like, we, I mean, that could be equated to an art. It could be equ- equated to, like, texture or shape or color mm-hmm. or contrast. And all those things just stack. Yeah, it's like... Those correlations are always so interesting to me. And David and I were actually talking about it before we even started this podcast episode or even before the chat mm-hmm. joined in about it, sort of. There like. is a lot of overlapping terminology, and I I love that. It's so weird where it's like we're speaking the same language overall, even if we don't totally understand the intricacies of, of what we're all doing here. Um, but we speak it. We speak the same language good enough to, to understand. Um like I had mentioned a few minutes ago, like I, 
dabbled in sound, but it was really amateur. <laughs> like I never really, I think that's the case with a lot of things I get involved in. I never really took the time to learn it inside and out. I would just kind of like grab what I need and then like run with it. Um, so for the early days of the Skeletac demo, some things I would record myself if I had a really clear idea. And uh, a lot of others I would like get from uh, royalty free sound websites Ugh. and like edit yeah. edit them yeah yeah i like i i hate i hate admitting that i did that no it's okay um. they're just i'm just like they are really unfortunate places to wander about like free sound like freesound.org <laughs> is super hit and miss really oh awful. like yeah. i've been i've gone i've spent minutes and hours floating through free sound looking for a certain thing and going whose idea was this why do you think I know. this is the sound a door makes? I've never hated anyone so much Dude. as this stranger in my life. <laughs> Some people... Tine says the clip yes. art of sound. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on free sounds as well. And um, yeah, incredibly hit or miss. Like Some of the things were just just barely off the mark of what I needed. And oh, that was probably the most infuriating. Yes. Like oh I, I just, And I didn't know how to edit sound well enough to make it work. So... I was like, uh, I guess Scully's not going to have a footstep sound effect for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. We eventually got there. So but. frustrating, for sure. <laughs> and just for anybody listening, if you are if you are a frequenter of Freesound and looking for a way to get your uh, <laughs> the sun back in your life, use Soundly. I use Soundly. I got that uh, as a rec- recommendation from Akash at PAX a couple of years ago. He said Soundly. Dot, I don't know. It's a, it's a program, and you can use it to pull down. Uh, from sound nice. libraries you can either pay for it or you cannot and soundly is fantastic it's much you know you'll you still fall a bit short and wonder like how come nobody has this but <laughs> the consistency of the quality of the sounds is f- much much better than than free sound nice i'd never heard of that yeah there's my little un unsponsored plug for soundly which is such a great place to get sounds i've never been on a podcast in the middle of an ad before that's really cool <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and they didn't even ask me to do it, and they'll never know what happened. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but I, I thought I thought you were going to start promoting the free course to learn some sound design, so that they can edit the free stuff they find. Oh yeah, there's that too, I suppose. But uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's that's we, we. I think it's more important to promote sound. That's right. Blip sounds. I never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Yeah, man. I'm I'm proud of you guys. Like it. It seems like you're doing really well behind the scenes and. I like in this in these industries like game dev in general um or even like indie film or cartoons um it's such a cutthroat place to be with like such crazy saturation mm-hmm. so to see someone thriving uh it, it's uh it makes me really happy and proud to see that for you guys that's great yeah it's tough and one of the, some of the th- comments that we got from people after the panel and just at PAX in general is I don't know. This is only this is sort of relevant to that, but it was like somebody actually praised me specifically just because I was talking to them without Ryan um, <laughs> about oh how do you get into the business and then giving them real advice on that instead of being cagey and not you know and oh well we don't want you know I don't want anybody else doing this right <laughs> because it's never yeah it's far more important to just do your own thing than to try to shoot for being a point of competition for anybody else. Absolutely. Somebody told me a story, and the only reason I call them somebody is because I'm tired of saying who this is. But told me <laughs> a story. I think we all know who it is. You can not, just say no, it. you don't. 
<laughs> no, you don't. You'll never know. Uh, we'll call yeah, him. Okay, you're right. We'll call him Aethakar. Nah, that's too obvious. Akash S. No, that's way too obvious. <laughs> just say a just say a sound friend. Yeah, a sound friend. Um, well, tell me a story about somebody who was going somewhere in a limo with an uh, an Android CEO of some kind. Somebody who was very important in the in the design of phones, and had <laughs> mentioned that Apple phones do a thing that this other phone doesn't, or that your phone doesn't. Oh, they do this thing, and your phone doesn't do that. And then, and, and all he said was, yeah, I'm sure they do. Hmm. And it wasn't a matter of, be, you know, shooting to compete with that or coming up second or, you know, trying to defend it. It was like, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Because even in a situation like that, you don't ever want to be competitive because all you will ever do is see ideas after they exist somewhere else and try to replicate them. And instead, exactly. just do your thing, and we can all exist in this together. Ryan said one time, there's a ton of room at the top in the world of sound design, so there's no reason why I can't yeah. give some, a nice person a great piece of advice on how to get in and do the same thing we do. Because who am I? You know, what have I done? Nothing. I don't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, that's a very good point. There is a ton of room at the top. Like, for all that my peers are doing, uh, and all of these, you know, insane AAA titles are bringing to the table um i feel like i can still bring something new and something that has worth using a visual aesthetic that was popular like 30 years ago mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh, i don't think it's always about being groundbreaking or being a huge competitor or knocking other people off the table um because like you said you're always going to be behind you're always going to be chasing and seeing these ideas late and that's no way to live right. especially in a, in an industry that's meant to bring joy to people like i like my job is to bring joy to people in some form but i'm also in this to bring joy to myself so why try to be like you know the next the next cuphead or call of duty or you know whatever whatever the game is mm -hmm. i just want to make i just want to make skell attack and you know whatever comes after that will be I just want to make that. I don't really care about what's happening in that in that moment in time in the industry as a whole. I mean, you got to pay attention. Like, you got to pay attention a little bit. Yeah. You can't be like, you can't have your start button make the character jump on a gamepad. Like, you got to pay attention to what right. some industry standards are, but only to a certain extent, I think. And that's what I was going <laughs> to say just now is the fact that, like, there are plenty of things that happen in every game going forward after a certain point is hit because that's how innovation works and that but th that's true in every industry like every time yeah. you watch a behind the scenes about or like commentary from some movie and they're like well we wanted to do this thing but we didn't know how and it didn't exist so we invented this type of rig we invented this camera the difference yeah. is those points of innovation are much more obvious in gaming because everybody has to see them you play them they're a mechanic of gameplay versus anything else and if right. like you know, Gravity, the guys over at Gravity invented a brand new rig for how they shot the movie and this whole big light box thing where they're like in a room that does different lighting based on points and blah, blah, blah. It's like when that gets into another movie, you'll never know because of the yeah. way that it's presented. But in gaming... And I've seen the rig you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the light it box. beautiful. Oh, it's so cool. It's insane. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, when that shows up somewhere else, the whole point of movies is to make something look as real as it can. So if it disappears, you've done your job. Right, but in gaming, there's so many like people get so negative and talk about, oh, this is just a knockoff of this or this got this from this, and it's like, it's a really really tough discussion to have as to whether or not something is a <laughs> blatant ripoff 
or if it's yeah. just going forward with a with a standard set by a better game yeah. or a newer game. Right, exactly. Like, you know, um, it's funny in the early days of Skull Attack, um, I had a couple a couple of times this comment would come through, and it doesn't it doesn't bug me at all because it's it's valid. But the way it came across, it always felt like okay. I'll tell you what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, some people would be like, "This looks like a it just looks like a Flash game," and I'm like, "Yeah." I love Newgrounds, and <laughs> I am animating and doing my illustrations for everything in this game in Flash because I love Flash. So I, I, I think that's probably why it might be reminiscent of Flash. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's okay. I don't have to make a 3D game. I don't have to make a VR game. You know? Right. Oh man, we had and sometimes comments from people are helpful. Oh yeah. We had yeah. a we had a comment. Months and months and months ago on one of the how-to videos that I made. And a lot of the times, especially for some of the drier content, I like to stick music in the back just to move things along, like I probably will with this. It's not particularly mm -hmm. dry, but it just gives it more space to have music that plucks along and moves. Wait, your, your mic hasn't been picking up my ukulele? I've been playing this whole time. <laughs> You're very talented. <laughs> <laughs> um, but somebody was like, why is there music in, in a in a video meant to show us what sounds sound like. And they were kind of, they were kind of grumpy about it. And I, I was pissed about that for quite a while, but I couldn't let go of the fact that it was mostly true. And it was like, he got a fucking point. Come to me with this. Oh, God, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to leave it the way it is. No, just tell me how it is. Just grumbling to myself. And then eventually it was like, God, you know what? Fuck him. He's right. And then I took all the music out of everything. And I just did that with the Game Audio Training Series, too. I used to put music in the back of the videos, and I stopped because I was like, you know what? That comment still sits in my brain. And I thought, uh, well, you know what? If somebody wants music in this, they can play it in the back themselves. And it's like, now I feel yeah, like I'm forcing true. something on somebody that they may not otherwise need because their expectation is just the content. So I'll let them yeah. fill the back out. I was like, all right, fine. But... I could have just dismissed it and been like, yeah, to hell right. with him. He's, I'm making this and he's not. So there. You know, it's it's always a judgment call, right? Because sometimes, a, a lot of times, you will get uh, suggestions and feedback from uh, from people in the community that um, it's it can be a little bit off the mark. And that's nothing against the community. Like, sometimes people just don't have as good an idea of what might be the best route to take. Yeah. So with all of it, it's like, so I've been in that same position as you though, where someone actually someone had like really good advice and I was just so my ego was still in it. And mm -hmm. I was like, mm, I'm gonna leave it in. I'm gonna leave it in for two extra months just because you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, you know, you come around. I'm gonna change this eventually so he doesn't think it was because of him. <laughs> you know, my thing would always be, um, oh yeah, thanks, dude. I'll I'll consider it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Take that into consideration, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about how every, there's a, plenty of room at the top, Chris. Yeah. And we and you also mentioned that there is just so much failing that goes on in the games industry. Um, and I wonder, I do wonder, like that, if that's the reason why that there are is so much room at the top is mostly because of that failing element. In game dev, when you're working on a game or when you're creating a business or whatever you have to fail at art and sound design and programming and then game design and 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 marketing and there's yeah. just so many small things that 
you have to be really, really bad at before you get good yeah. at. Yeah. And and a lot of people, yeah. um, I've been the same way. Like in the past, a lot of people aren't willing to stick it out for the long run, and that's okay. Um, it's it's weird. Like, I mean, to touch way back on what Chris had said when we first started, it's like for every game that you do see released, there's like, you know. How many, how many thousands for every one game that gets released that we never that never see the light of day? Yeah, nobody knew. Like the game that we've been working on for a while now, it's called Death Bulge. Like I, I genuinely like this game. It's fun. It's funny. It's interesting. I would love to see it actually release. And <laughs> yeah, you know the 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 release date so far has been slated for like tw- like summer of this year. I don't know a ton about games, but I can pretty much guarantee that's not going to be the case. But <laughs> yeah. I'll, but I don't care. I don't mind. I just really, really want it to come out, and I'm I worry about it every day because it's a team where there's effectively one guy for everything. We've got an artist, we've got a composer, we've got the dude who types code, and then us mm-hmm. for sound, <laughs> and everybody's kind of doing it in their f- spare time, and it's. I look at it, I see how much is done, which is awesome. I see how much is left, and I think if it was just me, this would never exist. If it was up to me absolutely. to make this game, this would absolutely fall apart because I can't. I'm I'm really bad at finishing projects anyway, even if yeah. they are as simple as read this book. And so all of the <laughs> stuff that goes into game design, like I never really lose sight of how delicate this process is. Like a breath of wind could push this game off a cliff that it can't recover from because I just see how much work <laughs> it's a scary is. thing. Yeah. Like dude, before I started working on this game, uh, like all through my twenties, it was just nothing but abandoned projects. Sorry. The chat got me good. No, I, I, no, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was really funny too. <laughs> Austin said, Chris should be the consensus on job titles. Hello. I'd like to apply for the dude who types code position. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, like so many other projects from my own past that just uh, got locked up in a on a computer somewhere, and I will never work on them again mm-hmm. because something bigger and better caught my eye, and I wanted to go do that instead. Um, it, it, any one of those things could have been my skeleton attack, I guess, if I had seen it through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird and sad to think about. Like, man, if I had just like had better work ethic a little bit younger, I could have been done with all of this already Mm -hmm. not that i'll ever be done like i'm always the act of creating is is a joy by itself right so yeah i'm I'm starting to become way more in tune with my process over the end result of anything that Mm -hmm. i'm creating and i feel that that it, it improves the end goal more because i'm i'm immersing myself more in the moment and if you focus too much on the end result like being goal oriented is extremely important but Mm-hmm. Man, like if if you aren't if you aren't in the moment of the creation process, then you aren't going to make something that's mm-hmm. of quality. Yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, it's, totally it's one foot in front of the other versus I need to run twenty miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were times where uh, when I was working solo on the game, um, it almost wasn't a project anymore. I just I got in a place where I just didn't really want to continue because I was getting stuck on something that probably isn't even that hard i was Boy, like trying to figure out how to save the game but it wasn't just saving saving it was like you know there are enemies in the game that you can kill and i wanted them to stay dead so the game had to remember 
who had been killed and who hadn't sure, and sure. then load or not load that appropriately and i just could not do it i spent like two weeks just not making progress and i was like man screw this game and then um the girl i was dating at the time she was like you know hey i haven't heard you talk about your game in a while are you still working on that and i'm like well, i don't know maybe i get <laughs> uh, i guess i'm you know i'm not getting any younger i better better work on this thing <laughs> Dude, that there have been so many different times where that has happened to me in even in our video essays, the big videos that we put out once a month. Like one little thing, I'm stuck on one one tiny hitch, and just the idea of thinking about that, the revisit, the mental revisitation of that is the, is what will deflect me into an easier project until the time you know almost is up, and it's like, man, I really gotta finish this thing. We gotta this has to be done by this this day. I haven't touched it in weeks because of this one little thing that if I just spent twenty minutes really trying to address it, it would be fine. But that yeah, mental revisitation exactly. is just a deflection. It's the path of least resistance, and that one has more. So that's not the direction I'm gonna go. Right, right. It's dude. <laughs> Let's do a podcast again in like 40 years and like we're just going to have so much crazy stuff to talk about oh, and my goodness absolutely reg regrets and like or maybe not even regrets but like things we could have worked on but just went in another path and just see how things affected our life or changed it for the better I don't know I mean it's, it's just all very interesting to me. Tina said if I get stuck on a yeah. feature I just spend 20 minutes convincing myself it was a bad idea to begin with and I cut it. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Chris. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I agree with you though. Like it's that what I've learned in the past 5 years and even just like from when Blip Sound started and I'm sure you were talking about earlier David about how you basically said you're pretty naive like when you first started <laughs> working on Skeletal. Yeah. yeah. And I can imagine, like, looking back at, like, some of the decisions you made at the start or, like, what your goals with Skell Attack were have just changed so That's, much. I was going to ask you my whole time. This how, one of the things I wanted to ask you was how Skell Attack, if it has changed from your original idea and how, how far. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm really happy to talk about this because the game has changed so much now. And, you know, we're no longer, like, hiding these things from the public. We're actively posting about them on Twitter, so... I'm like, I can talk, but yeah, um, the world has ju just the amount of like square footage, the world has grown so much bigger and we, you know, there's a real story here, like a real plot that happens. And when I read about these characters and the things they go through, I actually feel something and I'm I mean, by my own admission, I'm a pretty like emotional dude. I I like to feel things, and I'm open about ab about that. Back in the day, I felt like there was something just under the surface that could be really cool about Skell Attack plot-wise, but I just never was quite sure of what that was. Um, and it took you know expanding the team a bit and bringing on some writers um, to really let it grow and blossom into what it is today. And the interesting thing about that is that they didn't just like come on and see the project and they were like, you know, coming up with all these random ideas. They were both fans of the game going back years and uh, they were very familiar with what was going on. They were familiar with the voice of the game, how it felt to run around in the world, and they knew me as a person. Um, so when they were writing, they just kind of expanded on this little seed that I had set you know, with just a couple of rooms in the demo and my, my vague idea of 
this living skeleton running around in a dungeon you know like what does all that mean like how does how does this work how does the magic work what is you know what are what are the humans doing down here you know what are they seeking they just took all these things and expanded on them in a great way and by doing that it also allowed the art team to like just really spread our wings and draw and animate things that i never thought i would honestly things that i was terrified of having to do art for because um uh, it's such a learn as you go process but yeah we we kept largely we kept the flavor that made skill attack what it always was you know there's i think there's like a, a purity to it um i mean if i can speak about my own work and not sound like i'm some big shot like i think there was a purity to what the old demo was that we really wanted to keep you know we really tried not to overcomplicate things even though the world and the plot at large became vastly bigger mm. so i don't know if i answered that question in a good way but i certainly said a lot of words certainly did um, <laughs> no that's great uh that's that's the kind of thing that you like i don't know i I don't want to say that I was hoping for or expecting more detailed, like, oh, he used to swing his sword like this, and now he swings it like this, or some other thing. But, <laughs> but no, that's I mean, um, that's perfect. Yeah. To to sum it up, um, yeah, we'll we'll just go with that. But um, in a in a lot of in a lot of smaller ways, we would we would look back at you know my old animations or the ways that I was designing terrain in certain areas, and uh, certainly almost across the board, we could look back and be like. These are the things we want to update. Like Scully's idle animation looks honestly kind of, kind of robotic and rushed, which it was. Like I made it like five years ago, and mm. I was doing all this other stuff too at the same time. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of things we could pinpoint. Like uh, the uh. this this and this <laughs> multiplied by twenty. Like we we need all these things like with a new coat of paint. That's that's one of the most frustrating things for me with blip sounds is like we we have like four different YouTube video series. We have our video essays. We have our, we have like a plugin series. We have the monthly competition. And over the past like six months alone, uh, since Chris has started like doing YouTube uh, on, with Blip Sounds full time, each series has been one-upping each other hmm. and getting better and better and better. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's so much to the point where it <laughs> it just feels like, the quality isn't even across the board <laughs> and and it's just because like we had these old formats and we had these old we had this old way of doing things and even even with this podcast we have uh, our feed burner and RSS feeds and all of that and, and Chris messaged me today saying hey we need to figure out a way to like get the podcast up on the blip sounds website better mm -hmm. and it's and it's just another thing where it's like up oh, yep did that did that some time ago and we had the solution but now now everything has changed in the way we do things and now we have to go about it in <laughs> this way where we don't I, I don't know it's just an interesting quality bar check across the board yeah. that you're always keeping up with and it's very frustrating mentally to go back to that thing and try to tackle it again after it's been so long. Yeah, and it's uh it can be it can kill a project if you don't handle it appropriately because it, especially when your project has been going on for months or, or years, if you go back and redo everything to bring it up to the new standard, eventually not even the current standard is gonna be good enough because you will have grown yet again in six months time. Uh and so there's a certain point where you have to be like 
I absolutely know I can do better, but the game or this project is fine. I can't redo everything forever or I will literally never finish. <laughs> that is a thing. I yeah. think about that so much. And that kind of goes back to what you're saying about feature creep, where it's like, how do you how do you avoid getting into a position like Duke Nukem forever where it ju- a game just never yeah. ever comes 14 out? 14 years? Yeah. Is and then, of was? course, it sucked when it came out. But this thing where you're like, stuff takes so long to make, you have to ignore all of the newest tech and the newest versions of this that and the other to a certain point so that you can at least release something and then start something new and where do you draw the line in your decision making for where that is cut off instead of just trying to add new stuff and consistently updating and then you draw your plans out and then the budget goes to hit the moon and then people stop remembering you were (laughs) making a game in the first place yeah yeah um it's I don't. I don't really have a good answer to that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I don't. I, I certainly don't. Answer for sure. I. I. I think. I think my answer to that. It's got to be way harder with the game, but at least for blip sounds, we. I would say that we just focus on one thing until we, until we can get proper results on if it's benefiting the channel, our YouTube channel, or the community, um, and how people are responding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once we feel comfortable with what we've put out. And it's been out long enough, and we can get proper analytics on like what we need to do or change differently. Then we adapt on the fly. But with games, I can imagine that it's way, way tougher because you just release something out into the world, and all of a sudden it's yeah, yeah. there. Like I guess yeah, it could be like a feature ROI thing where it's like we made him jump in this way four years ago, and this other game came out and changed the jumping system. It's similar, <laughs> but it has these nice new little features to it that are like great. Is it worth it for the extent, like, how long do we think it would take to make that system go in? What would we have to change? How much time? How much money? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, the yeah. differences are minimal, but the changes would be astronomical, so let's avoid it. Right. You have to, you really have to weigh a number of a number of things there. And it sucks having to do that because, I mean, we would all love to add, you know, 50 other things and features mm-hmm. that we've had ideas for, but... The time just isn't there and you know we can't i don't want to work on this game forever as much as i love it i just i just can't so we certainly do have uh we have our roadmap that we constantly check against and we also have a list of kind of nice to haves so to speak mm-hmm. you know <laughs> if we have time we can do this but even within the nice to have list we still have things that do take priority even if we do get to that list at all. Yeah. And also there's there's post launch like I'm not I'm not going to say like you're a, you're a bad dev if you don't, you know, keep up with your game in the post launch weeks and months, but I mean one of the things I really want to be able to do is uh, you know, address any weird stuff that comes through whether visually or on the code level with my team and do patches and you know, it would be cool if we if we were able in an ideal world to you know maybe like add cool little things here and there that we couldn't get in before you know launch Mm -hmm. itself but it didn't it didn't affect the game by not having it and also it it, it would probably just be like free stuff that we would toss in just because we wanted to yeah i don't i don't know we'll see how it goes yeah so carl and chat made a great point about no man's sky adding a lot of things post-launch like I just bought No Man's Sky for the first time a couple of weeks ago because of 
the PSVR update mm, and yeah. everything else that it that they'd added to it. It was it was unfortunate how they started off, but they I feel like they truly redeemed themselves. Do you like it? Yeah, I do. I do. Like with a with PSVR, it's wild, and that's not even like well. the top of the line VR experience, even. Yeah. But it's the one that I could afford. Yeah, I um, played it. I played it yeah. very, very shortly with Vive. Um, I bought it. I had it years ago. Well, not years ago, but I had it quite a while ago. Played it a lot. Was very frustrated at how it is so procedurally generated that it doesn't even listen to itself. Like, why is it send? Why is it sending <laughs> me to a place I have already been, acting like it's a place I've never gone? And all kinds of weird little frustrations like that, where it's like, I am enjoying a lot of the things happening here, but I cannot stand the way that this game isn't even paying attention to the stuff it already told me about. Oh, man. That's, (laughs) I I never bought onto the hype for No Man's Sky. Like it, it just, it just had like, I never, I was, I've done music for like so many video games and like sounds for so many video games by that point where I was just like, there's no way that this is going to be as good as people think it's going to be. I was really excited about it. I was excited for it to be something. And I didn't, because <laughs> up for the up to the point of launch, it was like, what is this game exactly? It was really, really <laughs> difficult to understand like what we were even being sold. And yeah, but I was like, oh, I can fly around in space. Yeah, I'll take that action. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> like, it didn't take a lot for me to be interested in the experience because um i'm not really huge on uh on multiplayer experiences like i will do them but i get i sometimes get this weird anxiety when i meet strangers in an online space like in a game i just i don't want to be around them yes because i always feel like i'm bad yes and or they're gonna ask me or say something to me and i'm not gonna understand or be in the loop and i i don't know so i my ideal gaming experiences are usually cozy single player let me do the thing by myself forever and don't you know so flying around in space all of space heck yeah yeah yes <laughs> by my by myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah as it should be because i'm in space um so so uh austin and chat had a really good point i wanted to touch on it was like it's tight that people can do post-launch stuff now but it seems like it also launches uh so many broken unfinished games and that is very unfortunate. Um, I really like how Capcom handled Monster Hunter. Um, I haven't played Monster Hunter World, but Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate on the 3DS, they released a brilliant game, in my opinion, and then they put out a ton of free DLC for it. A ton of stuff. And it was like, I had so much love for them at that time, and I still do. Um, I think there's definitely a right and wrong way to handle post-launch stuff, but sometimes to sell your game that's early access um, and there's no guarantee to the community that you're ever going to finish it, but now you have their money, that's where it gets a little bit weird for me. Yeah, but I was part of a few early access games. It's just sad. I I don't know. I, I really wish that a lot of the games that I worked on had continued to see through instead of just grabbing people's money when the game release yeah um i i really don't want to i don't want to make it sound like a blanket statement because i mean there are good and good and bad apples wherever there's some sort of business model um it just sucks that enough bad ones come through to make me like very um very cautious of uh early access yeah and i think i mean there's at the end of the day too a lot of the times 
We just don't really know why something ended up doing what it did. And I think it's important not to default to a negative projection of what caused a certain thing to happen. Because usually if you get, you know, people in front of you to tell you every step-by-step way that something happened, there's like a mistake involved or something that nobody even realized was going on. Yeah, and especially in the case of uh, AAA studios, Mm -hmm. um, there's like, there are often like nightmare stories of just massive miscommunications between departments you know, maybe a new project lead coming on who has a completely different vision for the game. And yeah. then it's it's botched because it doesn't fit in with the work the team has actively been doing. So, um, yeah, there's... And some of these stories never see the light of day or they come out a year after release yeah. when everyone's done being pissed off about it and we've moved on to something else to be mad about. Yeah, and they've, you know, cemented their decision on what happened. And so it's like, ah, oh, well, they said this, but I know what really happened. And it's like, no, you just... I thought it and left it there. Yeah, yeah. Like one in recent memory um, was the the new the new Mass Effect that came out. What's it called? I can't remember. Andromeda. Yeah, yeah. You know, it came out and became a huge meme. And then, you know, a little after the fact, I saw this uh, amazing article somewhere, and it was just like people on the dev team talking about why things were the way they were and why it was so bad and how they knew it was bad but because of mismanagement or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. they had no option yeah we were just talking about that in the last episode we recorded about how a big problem with that game is that it was made in an engine that was not in any way designed to do that type of exactly so these people are these poor people are trying to animate these sequences and in an engine that was not made to handle this amount or this this like depth of character animations mm-hmm. and they were just str- struggling so bad I, I just you know you gotta feel bad for them like you know this terrible thing is about to come out and there's nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. i mean i when i say terrible i i i can't say terrible right. i haven't played it and friends of mine have played it and they really enjoy it but it's it sucks that my what i know about the game just from the internet is overwhelmingly bad. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll play it eventually. Probably we've gotten, well, yeah. Tina says it's not the engine. It's frostbite three. And this is, this is my own version of ignorance in terms of how game design and engines and stuff work, because I don't know anything about what anything he just, I don't know is. either. <laughs> and I make games. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so they didn't make it on windows seven. What? <laughs> Okay, my bad. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was expecting something so real. <laughs> Same, and I was like, does he know was, what he's saying? I was just like, oh, what, cut him off? what kind of insight is David going to give us? <laughs> No, I have I have no insight and I know nothing. Yeah, same. And, so, and, that's, <laughs> and that's another perfect example where it's like, well, they could tell you what the problem was and we might not even understand it after they tell us. And we just have to... So I just like to default to... There's an old... Uh, concept called Handlin's Razor, which is to basically to assume somebody did something wrong because they're stupid instead of them being mean is the the rough way of putting that. It's ignorance over malice, I think, is how it's is phrased. But I kind of lean on that a lot in terms of situations like this, where it's like they didn't put out a bad game because they're idiots or because they don't care about the people who play them. You know, something went wrong in a long 
outrageously complex process and they gave us the best that they could and if they had any choice in it they would also want it to be better because at the end of the day they're people just like anybody else and it's like your name is going to be attached to this thing you've busted your ass to get to where you are in this industry and to where you are and what you do and you didn't do it by putting out mediocre stuff and not caring that you were attached to something that didn't work out and that's true I think yeah it's just kind of like that where people the gaming industry seems to be the most volatile by quite a margin for one reason or another and it's a shame but at the same time i think we're all pretty used to the fact that no matter what happens some some neckbeard in the internet cloud (laughs) is going to scream about a bunch of stuff and we just have to we it's like oh yeah there's that guy again times twelve thousand, you know (laughs) (laughs) twelve thousand. yeah you're exactly right about that uh it's just like a weird member of the family at thanksgiving it's yeah. like oh that that guy okay oh, uncle, <laughs> uncle russell's at it again he's waving his gun around at the just, table just, just smile and nod he'll yep. shut up eventually exactly <laughs> i i know so many people who have a lifelong proclivity to just find something to bitch about i know them i have them in my yeah. own world and it's yeah. like these people are all over the place man they just can't wait to be mad yeah and if sucks. they're not giving you criticism like constructive criticism in a nice way not even worth listening to even if what they say might be based in something useful if they're just gonna you know bark about it mm-hmm. then I, who cares don't listen to them somebody if the problem is real somebody else will say it in a nicer way <laughs> true it's it's interesting you say that because um <sighs> As an as an artist, like I had to have my stuff critiqued a lot when I was um, in college, briefly. And um, <laughs> I understand. That. <laughs> and um, you know, it's it's the critique can be can be a hundred percent valid, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is in the delivery of Absolutely, that critique. Yeah. Um, how you say it is just as important as what's being said, and you can really really easily close yeah. someone's ears um, when you come at them from a place of negativity or mm-hmm. um a raised voice or, or whatever whatever it is and i think i think on the other side of that though is that I, I think that the artists themselves also should develop a little some sort of uh toughness too when they're getting feedback yeah. and stuff um while, while it is important to like i i am a huge fan of like of sandwiching whenever i'm giving any sort of feedback. oh same yep. <laughs> that's the way to do it because if you don't it's just I don't know. I, 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 especially for us in blip sounds, like we, we have so many, we have so many community members that are new to sound design, and if we tear them apart when they're just starting, you know, they're not going to want to do it anymore. And we want to be supportive, and we want people to grow and get better. Yeah. Yeah. There's a fantastic TED talk that Phil Plate did that I, I think I brought this up before. I, I watch it probably twice a year. It's called "Don't Be a Dick," <laughs> and it is literally just here. It's it's like a half an hour talk about his talk is mostly about idealism and like how do you as a scientific person explain to non-scientific people that what they think is probably not correct without being a dick about it and his very first question is like how many of you used to believe something that you don't anymore and you got there because someone yelled in your face and called you a retard and Hmm. it's and the whole talk is just about how to approach delivering information to people in a way that is compassionate and going to be received rather than just push back on because you're giving it in a way that's not going to help anybody out and yeah, I very much try to live by it as hard as I can. Like I said, I watch it a couple of times a year, and I have for years just to always refresh myself on it. That's great, man. So I think so we're important. getting close. We're at like an hour and a half. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah, and it okay. sounds like, I mean, we could probably just have you back anytime and do all this over again, and it would be fine. So 
yeah, yeah. I um, I really enjoyed my time here today, and uh, sorry if we went a little bit long. Yeah, that's, fine. I don't know. That's like my magic power. <laughs> Same. It's gonna take me days and days to edit this, but that's uh, that's the life of, of doing. It. Yeah, no sweat at all, man. We're, I mean, we're we're, we're happy to Bless hang you. out with you and have good times like this. It's a good problem. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I I wanted to say real quick, um, thanks to everyone who um just hung out with us today and i see carl h has been playing the skeletac demo for like this entire time yeah uh it, the demo is pretty old dude so um i hope you enjoyed it but um if you really want to see like what the current build looks like um definitely check out our our twitter if i can plug that real fast yeah plug go go to town sweet sweet it's it's just it's at skeletac pretty simple but yeah um yeah thanks so much dudes i, I had yeah, a blast um, today yeah, David, thank you so much. Um, if, if there's anything we can do to help you out Absolutely. or help Skeletic out or uh, Zuka or whatever, let us know for sure. Thanks, dude. And uh, keep in touch for another another sweet podcast, and uh, we'll hook it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah you bet. I'll, I'll, um, I'll gladly let you know. Um, maybe, awesome. Maybe sometime in the next few months we can do something else. But Yeah, for sure, because uh, we'll, have, we'll have a lot more to talk about then. For sure. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. To what, what's, the, <laughs> what's the current scheduled release date? For... Uh, I'm sorry, bud. I, I can't say. Oh, it's okay. not terribly far away, but that's that's all I can say right now. Okay. Th this year for sure. Cool, awesome. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Really excited to check it out and see it. Thanks, man. Me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining everybody, and uh, go check out David and Skell Attack on Twitter. And yeah, catch you guys in the next episode. See ya. It's David's game uh, that you are the uh, brainchild of, and I'm I'm the brainchild of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Ryan Ryan's delirious from PAX.